This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. Today's class, titled uh, How Not to Be or Don't Be an Arrogant Bastard, is, um, is the fact that, that um, ego is always the puffed up nature of someone who feels small. Ego is always the buffed up nature of someone small. So that means that from now on, when you see like, a, I don't know, like a fancy sports car go by, which you only buy if you want everyone to notice your, you know, your affluence. So if you see a fancy sports car go by, shed a tear. Shed a tear for someone who feels small. When you see a lady in a long shaitel and a little too much makeup, shed a tear. And say, somebody feels small. When you, when you see... Someone who's like being a know-it-all at a Shabbos table. Shed a tear. And know that somebody's feeling small. I don't think any of us have to be geniuses to know that when you run into arrogance, you're dealing with someone who's, who's hurting inside, feeling small, feeling weak, feeling probably worthless, feeling dumb, feeling ugly, feeling... Um, uh, uh, insignificant and when they're when they're acting arrogantly or showing off or in any way flexing their muscles so to speak they're, they're, this is their only hope really to feel good about themselves so they're just trying to feel good about themselves and people are crushed I mean, people are really crushed and and so if you can figure out some way that you can raise yourself above the others, then people will choose like funny things to do this with. I mean, you could, because all you have to do is have one way and then you'll be arrogant at least over people like that. Like, I mean, one of the rare things, especially today, is a bass player. Okay, so bass players are generally more humble people, but, but amongst bass players, all of a sudden there it is. Like they got to show they're the, the biggest <laughs> bass player and... And uh, fast car drivers, you know, they, they're generally mellow, but as soon as you speed by them, they're just going to take you. You know, they're, you know, they're going to show you. So um, one of the things, by the way, and this is a side point on this, but it, that you got to watch out for arrogance is your brain. Your brain, especially Jewish brains, which are very analytical, is, see, a bass player can only have ego against a bass player, and a fast car driver can only have arrogance against fast car drivers. But everyone's got a brain. So if you're a particularly good thinker, you can have arrogance over everybody. And this is why you'll notice some of the great female teachers in the Jewish world are single. Because they, they just, you can't stay married to such a person. And, the, and, and, and it's not that they're not amazing people, they really are amazing people, but it's hard to be married to them because, because the, uh, they don't respect their husbands necessarily. And this is what's tough for a woman who's, who's uh, brilliant should marry a brilliant man so she has respect for him. And the only chance she could possibly survive with a non-brilliant man is to be very humble. She has to humble herself a lot. But not too many people are that successful in being humble. And so probably better just to marry a brilliant man. It's probably the better way to go. Because the key to marriages is, is respect. you got to have respect. Now, arrogance is always a cover-up. Whenever people are acting arrogantly, they're always covering up for something. 
They're always coming up for something real small that they're trying to puff themselves up. And we have a source for this, actually. And the source is the sheep. A sheep. Animals. You know, the sheep. When I was a little kid, we used to go with my grandfather sheep shearing. My fa- grandfather was a wool trader, so he knew all the, all the, you know, the sheep farms and stuff. And one of our field trips with Grandpa was to go sheep shearing. Anyway, we would jump out of his Jeep Cherokee, and and there would be uh, these giant wool sheep that were like bred for their wool. I mean, these were huge sheep with like, I mean, they were like, and they'd all come barreling down, you know, to to get shorn and. And uh, my brothers and I would hide under my grandfather's legs from these monstrous sheep. Anyway, then they would shear the sheep. And in the end, you know what they look like? Have you ever seen a shorn sheep? It just looks like a little thin, goopy, grimy, like oversized rodent. And so once we saw the shorn sheep, we all came out from under my grandfather's legs because we saw that these are harmless, slimy things. By the way, you know what all the slime is? What's all that slime on a sheep? Sweat, right? It's there's sweat. There's schwitzing in there. Wearing full coats, coats of wool all year round. And you know what the term is for the schwitz? Is a you know what that chemical is called? That is called sheep sweat. You know what it is? Lanolin. Lanolin. It's in every skin product because it is amazing for the skin. But no lanolin product is better for the skin. Then Lanzano, Lanzano, usually used for breastfeeding, is the most incredible thing you will ever put on your skin. So buy Lanzano at your local skin. But they actually have these mini tubes that are great because you just pop them in your pocket. So you're like, you'll never get a split finger. Like when we discovered Lanzano, I don't know if you know, but living in Jerusalem, you can get like split knuckles and your cuticles can start splitting and stuff till you try Lanzano. Once you try Lanzano, your split skins are over. Now, anyway, but there were these scrawny sheep. There were scrawny sheep, nothing to be afraid of, just scrawny slimeball sheep. Now, inside of all of us is a scrawny sheep. We all have inside of us a scrawny sheep. Meaning inside of all of us, ladies, inside of you is a scrawny sheep. A slimy, scrawny sheep that just wants to hide from the world. Sometimes you get aggressive in a fight. Sometimes there's some of you are more flight. Different people have different ways of dealing with things. When you can fight, you fight. When you can't fight, you fight. But in the end, underneath it all is a slimy, grimy little shepsula. Sheep. But what do we do? We puff ourselves out. When we're in the fight mode, we puff ourselves out with beautiful wool. Now, what is the word for for being a... What is the word for being a... a what would you call in, in English that thin sheep compared to the fat wool? The scrawny. Did I use the word scrawny before? Yeah. yeah. So that scrawny self in Hebrew is called sar. Sar means narrow. And a lot of people have a very narrow definition of themselves. Meaning they don't, they're not seeing themselves as big. They're seeing themselves as small, ugly, stupid, inadequate, don't make a difference, worthless, 
unwanted, unliked, unloved. You know, that's the way most people see themselves. And the word for that is tsar. Tsar. It means narrow. Yeah? It means narrow. It could also mean painful, too. That's often with an I. But but tsar means narrow. That's the root. And if you add a mem at the beginning, so then you got the word meitsar, which means the straits. It's straits, like the narrowness. And the... uh, and it's actually the word for Egypt as well, is Mitzarim or Mitzrayim, when it becomes Egypt. And interestingly, the god of the Egyptians is, the god of the Egyptians is the sheep. And on the 10th of Nisan, my birthday, the, we are instructed to take a sheep and we're to bring it into a, the inner room of your house. And tie it to the bedpost. You know, good luck explaining that to your wife. Honey, God said so. Great. What else did he say? So, you're supposed to take a a sheep, tie it to to the bedpost, and inspect it for four days, as if a sheep needs four days of inspection. Like, what in the world do you need four days for to inspect a sheep? But inspect it for four days. I mean, the, maybe the only good thing about a four-day inspection is if it had a blemish on the first day, maybe it'll heal by the fourth day. So that would be good. But as long as it doesn't have a blemish on the first day, it's probably not going to happen on the fourth day. Um, whatever. But ch- check it over for four days. And then on the, on the fourth day, you take it out and you slaughter it. You slaughter it. You slaughter the god of the Egyptians. Now... The narrowness that you are, meaning all your negative self-definitions that you have, yeah, all those thoughts about yourself that are like not very complimentary, all those thoughts about yourself, they are completely out of integrity with being someone who is created in the image of God. Meaning it's, it's, it's not just Lashon Hara, because Lashon Hara at least could be true. This is not even true. So it's Moksi Shemra. I mean, you're over on Motsi Shamer about yourself because I imagine if you've made it to this classroom, you probably know you're already created in the image of God, which means you're awesome. You're awesome. You're like beyond brilliant. You're beautiful. You're uh, capable beyond measure. I mean, you're the upper one percentile of capability of uh, humanity. You're, you're, but that's just because you're brilliant too. And that putting your capabilities with your brilliance puts you in a very high percentile. And you're just awesome. I mean, everything about you is awesome. You're holy. You're pure. You know, you're like... And if you're not pure, you can... We have, we have steps to purify yourself, and now you are pure. And, and you're like... You're just... Everything about you is incredible. So, therefore, the mates are... The mates are... That you live with is just simply a lie. But no one can live with that Mitzar, so what do they have to do? They have to puff themselves up and make themselves arrogant. And what they do is they make a a big, beautiful coat of what? Of Tzemer. They make a big, beautiful coat of Tzemer. What's Tzemer? Wool. So you got, here is the the scrawny self-definition of oneself. 
And here is the wool. And what is wool? Wool is just, it's just this puffy stuff. It's just, how much can you puff yourself out with your outfits or with your hair or with your muscles or with your, your, a suit you bought or a car you're driving or a, a business you're running or, or, I mean, people puff themselves over anything because every community has different standards of what's called puffed up. You might just work yourself to the bone having a giant family because all your neighbors have giant families. I mean, I don't know what, how you puff yourself up. But there's different standards of puff up, but ultimately what it comes out to be is just simmer. It's just, it's just fluff. And this is where arrogance lies. Arrogance, the root of arrogance is, is Mesar. And the arrogance is the tzemer. That's the fluff. Judaism says slaughter the whole damn thing. Judaism says just kill it. Just kill it. Just slaughter it. Inspect it. Get to know it well. Why do you got to inspect it? If you're going to kill it, just kill it. Why, why do you need four days inspection? You know why you need four days inspection? Because if you don't understand yourself, if you don't get this stuff in detail, because you have to be sophisticated about the details of the scrawny, where'd it come from? Where'd you get scrawny? Was it a family dynamic? Did you get embarrassed as a kid? Did something really go wrong? Was there a trauma? Was there a molestation? What, what, what the hell happened to you that made you start seeing yourself as scrawny? It might be important to know that stuff, especially if you'd like to protect your kids from it. The next thing is, well, what kind of scrawny am I? I mean, there, I could come up with probably a hundred different definitions that would all equal scrawny. You know, I already told you about 10 of them. Should I list them again? You remember them? What? Oh, we said ugly, stupid, incapable, unlovable, insignificant, worthless. You know, you name it. I mean, there's just... But the list just keep going. Small, uh, uh, weak... Victim, uh, <coughs> and many more words. Doomed. You meet people who actually think they're doomed. I mean, like, damned if I do, damned if I don't. Like, they're doomed. You meet people who are, they, they believe they're doomed. You know, it's, it's just, scrawny's got a lot of definition. But you better inspect it before you checked it. <laughs> inspect before you checked. Why? Because... The next thing you think you got to inspect is you got to inspect the wall. Inspect that wall. I know, for example, I played. I play, am I still wearing a bag out of my? Yeah. Just because my waterproof pants aren't that waterproof, and the water goes flying up from the back tire while you're riding, and so I just kind of have this layer of waterproofing. Is there any water here? Is that uh, ash water? Yeah. Fire water? Um, we have any? Uh, those are clean cups. Do you mind pouring me a uh, cup or two? What's the, what's the mitzvah? That's the scrawny definition of self. And the tzemer is the ego. That's the, the puffed up self-image. In other words, let's put it like this, ladies and gentlemen. There's two steps to self-image. Scrawny, which is mitzvah. Thank you very much. There's the scrawny definition of oneself. And then there is the puffed up definition of oneself. Together they make your self-image. You have your inner self-image. That's the one you don't want anyone to know. That's the secret self-image inside. Mine was basically, I think 
my biggest ones were like loser, unwanted, um, and unworthy. I think loser, unwanted, and unworthy were probably my biggest ones. And my my wool was cool. You know, the guitar playing, surfing, you know, like party animal guy, you know, like that was my that was my go to. What's going on here? They're all stuck together. I'm such an environmentalist. Like here I'm drinking out of uh four five cups. They're all stuck together. Um, clear? So, so check this out. You got to know, meaning you can slaughter this thing, but do you think your sheep's going to go down, like, go, what's the word, go down easy? How would you say go down without a fight? You think your sheep's going down easy? Sheep ain't going down easy. That's why you need, you need days to inspect it. Why? Because each aspect of scrawny and each aspect of the wool, of the puff up, the ego, they're all like street signs. And you got to know your street signs. So that way, if you're going down one of those streets, you stop yourself. For example, let's say I'm on my way somewhere, and I have, let's say I have to give a talk, which is usually what I have to do. So I have to give a talk somewhere. And I notice that, you know, you kind of mentally prepare. I mean, most people actually prepare the talk. I don't do that. But most people, like, at least mentally prepare before they give the talk. So if I notice that I'm heading towards something cool, like a cool topic with maybe a cool story here and there, I'll just, like, I'm walking to the class, and all of a sudden I got, like, cool coming up in my prep. I'll just stop. I know that street. I know where that's coming from. That's coming from loser, unwanted, and... Um, and unworthy and and oh well it all makes sense because the people I'm giving the talk to are like way beyond me it's like I don't know it's like university professors or something and they're bringing me in as a, like a, for a very specific thing and I'm way out of my depth there you understand I'm like I'm, I'm like I, I dropped out of school when I was 11 you know and I'm speaking to university professors like no wonder but you need to inspect that sheep because if, to go in and give a cool lecture to professors is a waste of money at the university for having hired you for the job. You understand? You're, you're, it's called a mekach ta'us. It's a, how do you say it in English? A, uh, a mistake. <laughs> That's the easy English, but there's a, what is it called when someone sells you something with false... Uh, Swindler. False advertising. False advertising. Whatever it is. It just isn't what they, it's why, not why they were bringing me. You understand? It, it just, so I'm getting paid and not delivering. So I stop and I catch myself. And, but the only way I can catch myself is I have to be sophisticated about the way I work. You got to be sophisticated. You got to understand yourself deeply in knowing how you function between the scrawny and the, and the, and the wool. Now, one of the reasons why you need to know your details of scrawnyhood is because different people trigger you. Just like I got triggered by the professors. Well, you have an aunt that triggers you, and you have an uncle that triggers you, and, and you, all of you are going to have a mother-in-law that triggers you, believe me. And, and, and so they all trigger the scrawny part of you. And there's always someone more beautiful than you, and there's always someone more handsome than you, and there's always someone stronger than you, and there's always someone smarter than you, and there's always someone this than you, and that than you. And so you got to know your, you got to know your blemish. You got to know what you've been saying about yourself all these years, because you're going to wind up at a Pesach table with these people. You got to enjoy. You got to enjoy Pesach. 
You know, and are you kidding? In, in New York, you can't get a, you can't get a, I mean, already by today, you know, we're already in like coming towards Purim, you can't get an, an appointment with a therapist already. I mean, you have to book with a therapist, well, two, three months in front of Pesach because they're booked up because everyone's getting prepared to be with, you know, aunt whomever, or uncle, you know, weirdo, you know, and uncle weirdo, and you, and you got to, you know, how am I going to deal with that? But someone who's free, because what happens is you inspect it, you get your scrawny wired, you get your, 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 puff, your puffed up self-image wired, and then what do we do on the 14th of Nissan? Slaughter that baby. Slaughter it. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah? Nobody got time for that. Think about getting married without inspecting this, without slaughtering it. If you never slaughtered this and you marry somebody, <coughs> talk about Mecca Taos. You know, imagine your spouse is under the chuppah. You know, they're like, you know, they're like with all their dreams and hopes. And little do they know what they're getting themselves into with you. I mean, think about what they're going to wind up with. And it's all coming out, too, because stuff you can keep in when you're single comes flying out when you're married. Maybe not the first week, maybe not the first month, but just give it a couple months and you like you spring a leak all over the place. Your spouse is like, what was that? And you're like, I don't know. You know, you know, and you hold I'm like, couldn't you have done, couldn't you have dealt with that when you were single? My goodness. And you're like, I was scared. Oh, great. Now it's all over me. Nothing worse than people afraid of themselves. Because it's not like it's only about you. Like, get over it, man. There's a lot of people who are going to be involved in that stuff. So if you're scared of yourself, you know, you better get over that quick because, you know, you're going to have a lot of people dealing with you, especially once you get married and have kids. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you can think of yourself as like a pool and everyone has to swim in your pool. You know? I mean, if you're having a swimming party, before everyone arrives, you should probably go through there with a net and, like, make sure nothing funky's floating around. Yeah? Because they're all going to be jumping into your pool there. So, so like, when you get married, they're swimming in your pool. And all your stuff's in there. And kids, forget about swimming in the pool. They got an intravenous drip line from your, from your, uh, your stuff. Because aren't you made of your parents' best and worst? Like, isn't that all in you? Wouldn't it have been nice had they filtered the water a little bit before you were born? You know, wouldn't that have been better if they got themselves put together a little bit before they had you? But they're just like you, scared of themselves. They're scared of themselves. Scared to go inside, scared to look in there. Scared to be, scared to be guided into those nooks and crannies that... Nobody wants to go into. But meanwhile, those things are going on all the time. And that's what it is. To, I mean, think about being friends with you. You're a liability. And then what you get, what you can talk about, what you can't talk about, you know, you're like, it's like walking on eggshells. I mean, what is a good friend? A good friend who knows enough, knows, has learned you well enough to know what not to talk about and what not to bring up. Like, they know exactly how to protect you so that you can still remain an absolute bomb for your spouse to explode about three months in. And that's a good friend. <laughs> we're, we're serious liabilities. I know for a fact, I'm married 24 years. I mean, I know exactly what a liability I have been for my wife. 
and and whatever I find, and she lets me know, it's part of being married to a Jewish woman. They let you know that whatever I find, which she finds for me apparently, I I fix that. It might, I might have to go talk to somebody. I might have to cry something out. I got to work it through. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll do it. <coughs> but anything I can work on without having it to have to come to that, I will. But friendship, relationship is supposed to be cleaner than just tiptoeing around the liability of that person. But I understand people are really scared of themselves. Apparently, it, it, what's crazy about it is if you put on a scale, like they're more scared of looking into themselves than they are scared of all the consequences of their spouse and children, which is crazy because that gets expensive. Because if you don't have yourself worked out when you're raising kids, you're going to be paying for that later. It's expensive. You know, it's called therapy. You know, like... If you don't, if you're not worked out before you're raising children, your, your kids are going to have to be working this stuff out. It could be many of you have been working it out because you were into therapy. No, you're working it out, and your parents could have saved you that. This is why in uh, the Possible You seminar, when when these kids are like, you know, you see when they they're handing you a credit card number from their parents. So, so when it's their credit card, I'm quite proud of them. I'm like, good for you, investing in yourself. When it's their parents' credit cards, I'm like. Damn right. Now they're paying. Now they're paying. And my my goal, my goal is that that I never have children of my seminar graduates in my seminar. That's my goal. Meaning, you understand? Meaning, meaning the young people. And obviously, I've had many children of graduates who are the kids are already late teens and twenties. Those, of course, I've had because they already grew up in that. In the hellhole of a, of an, of, you know, an unidentified flying object called mom, and an unidentified flying object called dad, just totally unidentified and just acting out in all the ways that unidentified people act out because they haven't identified their stuff, and so it just it's just free reign to just like, you know, just kind of throw up on everybody, and and so I've had those kids. But uh, my dream is that the generation of people that did the seminar when they were young are not going to have their kids coming to the seminar. And I've met all these kids. They're great. Many of them come to my Shabbos table. They're in like their first year of yeshiva and stuff from years ago. And they're, uh, and they're, they're really seem good. I don't think they're coming to the possible youth seminar. I think, they're, I think they're in good shape. And by the way, it's not that the seminars for people with problems. Everyone has it. It's just that I would hope those kids have tools through which to inspect these things so they know how to navigate themselves properly. Now, um, what was the other word you used? Gaiva versus what? Self-esteem. Self-esteem, yeah. So self-esteem comes from God. Self-esteem's the soul. So if you look at it like this, you got, let's say this pen is the soul. That's like your true self, your actual natural personality, which most people have lost touch with since they were three. But let's just say that's the pure self. Okay? So all this negative stuff we say, this grani, is a, called, it was what you'd call a chatzitsa, or a barrier. It's a barrier to this, to this. Meaning we don't have access anymore because we just have this grani thing. And then... And then, of course, add the wool. They have two chatzitzas. 
And so the so what happens is that that our source of self esteem is hidden underneath these layers. And so when we go through this biur chametz, when we take off the chametz, the puffed up. What is chametz? Chametz is just the puff. That's all the puff. I mean, take a take a moishis chala. Anyone been to moishis in uh, on Shamgar? Yeah, take a moishis chala, big fluffy one, and sit on it for about ten minutes. What do you get? Matzah. I mean, it's not kosher with Pesach. But you get matzah. You know, sit on challah, you get matzah. Because what happens is challah is a lie. It's not true. It's just fluff. Sit on a challah, you get the actual stuff. That's the challah. That's what's really there. Because you've removed all the air. You've removed all the fluff. And now you're at the truth. By the way, why do you think we do this on Passover? Why in the foundation of our nation? Passover where our nation was founded, why do you think we have to eat matzah and we have to avoid leaven? Why is that? Anyone know? Yeah. Yeah, but what's the connection to us being founded as a nation? When we leave Egypt, we're like, we're, we're in the university, of, we've graduated the university of slavery. We're in caps and gowns, like moving into nationhood. What does it have to do with Matzah. So the answer is truth. Chal is a lie. It's filled with air. Matzah is like such a true food. Think about it. It's What's in matzah? Two ingredients. Flour and water. That's it. Just flour and water. It's the ultimate truth. Now, why is truth important? Truth is important because any foundation requires truth. And this is the foundation of our nation. And so we have to eat the bread of truth. When we when we are going into there, we can't have puffed up stuff on this holiday because because that's cool. It's just that in foundational, when you're doing something foundational, it's got to be truth. For example, when you get married one day, your husband should know what he's getting himself into. But how many people marry and only find out what they got themselves into later? And then you got the Hasidic world where it's like. You know, like, this family said all this stuff about the boy, their son, hiding what was really going on, telling a story about... I'm not saying every Hasidic family does it, but this, I have to meet a lot of couples like this. But the thing is, is it's generally, generally mean matzahs, mean, like, they find each other, that the other family also is willing to lie. So they both lie, and then they go into the chuppah based on truth or lies. And lies. So I meet these couples 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, it's the weirdest thing. They're not married. They're really not married. And I have this whole thing that I've created this like um, remarrying one another uh, therapy that I've, I've developed. I have this whole way to, for them to remarry each other, even 15, 20 years down the line. They go through this remarriage thing that I've developed. And it's amazing work. It's very special. And, but why aren't they married? Like, okay, so they lied. And you found out the truth over the years. You know, you got you found out what's really going on with your spouse. So, so what? And the answer is that when something is foundational, well, I think we'd all understand this in a business situation. If you were in a business situation and you know you're signing and you're like, you know, with a, with this other body, like you got your company and you got this other body that you're going to be signing on something, and 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 they're lying. Well, that's going to be hemorrhaging later. 
that's going to wind up problematic. That's why we have lawyers before we sign with people, because the job of the lawyer is to make sure this deal's clean, so that three years down the line it doesn't blow up on everybody. And it's the same thing with marriage. It's the same thing with Claudiusrel. We have to start with the truth. So self-esteem is a form of truth. It's recognizing the image of God inside you. Someone who says they're nothing is just playing some kind of ego trip on you, like reverse psychology or something. But someone who says that they're awesome, and the source of that awesomeness is their soul, and the source of their soul is God. In other words, if you, everything great about you is recognized as being sourced in God, that's self-esteem. Whereas the scrawny sense of self with the fluffed up wool sense of self, which notice, I imagine you notice it's the same letters, because the root, the root of all the fluff is is all the garbage. That's the root of it. Meaning, if you think about someone who's doing this arrogant, show-offy way of life, the root of all that is is just this grotesque, thin god of the Egyptians. Shalom, everybody. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.